to see this morning. We're in the last uh, week of a six-week series called Life on Mission, talking about how we can, how God has given us a purpose in life that's bigger than ourselves. Uh, in Acts 1-8, it says that, we're, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and that's something that every believer has, the Holy Spirit comes into our life, then he says it'll empower us to do something, that's, and that's to be a witness. A witness in Jerusalem, it says, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so uh, that means locally, regionally, and globally, God will empower us to do that. So then we talked about, for the last few weeks, about what that means, about how do you do that. And we've talked about five action steps. Today will be the fifth one. Uh, we talked about how if we're going to reach people and we're going to connect with people and be witnesses, you've got to connect with them. You've got to go where people are that don't know Christ. It, it makes lo- It's just total logic there. Uh, secondly, as you connect with people, uh, not just connect with them just so we can be friends with them, but connect with them so we can serve them. Because the Bible tells us as well, in one of the key verses of the Bible, that it's called the Great Commandment, that we're to love God and love people. And one of the best ways of loving people is serving people. And so we talked about as we connect with people that we become aware of their needs, where they are, and we can serve them. And then we talked about the next one, was the thing is, as we do that, many times people will ask, well, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you, why are you such a nice person, nice guy, nice girl, whatever? And, and, and then one of the opportunities we have there is to, is to share. Not to share a whole lot of information, but just to share the hope that we have within us. And we talked about that, the simple way we can do that uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And then last week we talked about the fourth action step, and that is to grow. That one of the things we must do and we must help people do is we're not just trying to get people to step across a line, but we're trying to help people take their next step, whatever that may be. And we talked about many of the next steps that we saw in Scripture as well. And then not only that, we ourselves have to grow if we're going to be effective witnesses because, you know, one of the things that, that people, if, if uh, we say one thing and we do something else, they won't believe us. And so growth is important in our lives as well. Not that we become perfect, that we're growing in the direction toward Christ. And so we talked about all those things. Now, today we end up our series by talking about the thing that really is the key for everything. And, uh, and that is our connection with God and how he empowers us in a real sense, not only gives us the Holy Spirit, but empowers us uh, in a sense to, to do all these things. And so this week our step is called pray. About, it's about prayer this week. Prayer is not just something we do after the fact. Uh, matter of fact, we have a lot of strange ideas about prayer sometimes. I don't know about you guys. But uh, probably most of you have some early prayer experiences. You grew up in a home. You have, uh, you have, uh, you had bedtime prayers. You had meal prayers. You have all these different prayers you memorized. Uh, maybe you, you know, different different things you did along the way. Uh, formula prayers. I mean, you know, sometimes we pray these prayers where it's kind of like uh, I call them uh, dinner prayers that where we ask God to bless nutritional nightmares. Uh, you ever you ever prayed one of those? You know, you're looking sitting down at a you know, a bunch of greasy stuff, and you're going like, God, please bless this meal to the, my health, you know, and you're going like, really? You know, I wonder if God's going really, is what I want to know. And, and so we do those kind of things. We also have all kind of ideas about prayer as well. Uh, sometimes we pray after the fact to try to get God to bless something we've already done. You ever done that? You've never done that probably. It's kind of like the little girl, the fifth grader, who after taking a geography test, she says, dear God, please make Detroit the capital of Michigan. If you don't know what the problem is, you go look up a geography. Um, see, if we're honest, most of our prayers, if we're just simply honest with ourselves and with God, most of our prayers are about me. Give me, uh, I want, bless me, help me, protect me, please God do this. It's all about me. 
And, and, maybe, and maybe sometimes the reason we don't pray a lot is because we quit praying because we've asked God for stuff and he didn't answer the way we wanted him to. Or maybe you decided that God just doesn't listen because God didn't do what you thought God ought to at that time. Um, now, for some of us, uh, we keep on praying, just hoping that eventually if we pray enough, God will answer some of the things. Um, I was thinking about prayer, some of the strange things we do in prayer. And, and for some reason, it kind of hit me this week uh, when I was thinking about this whole deal, about the fact that this is something we do constantly. I prob- probably every one of our small groups, we do it in staff. But I thought how weird it is what we do. Um, we get around, then we have this time, prayer time. And, and you probably do it in your group, and we do it as staff, I'll tell you this. And so I'm thinking we do the same dumb thing. Um, <laughs> we get around and we share prayer requests. And then what we do at the end of sharing prayer requests, we have somebody to pray about the same things we just shared. And I'm going like, wasn't God listening when we were sharing? It's like, okay, it's kind of like, it'd be like, okay, if you don't get it, let me, it'd be like this. It'd be like this. Imagine you and your spouse are talking about how to discipline your kids while they sit in the room in front of you. And then you tell them how to do it. You know, we're listening. We can hear you. And so sometimes I'm wondering, you know, maybe we should just go into a prayer time realizing as we share prayer requests, maybe that is part of the prayer time too. Why do we have to repeat them again? God hears it because he hears all things. So we do all kinds of strange things in prayer. And, and sometimes we wonder about God and answering, answers to prayers because when we think it's about getting stuff and we pray prayers and we have people all the time that ask you, and you may have people that do this, ask you to pray for stuff. You ever had anybody ask you to pray for stuff? And sometimes, you know, they're really legitimate things, you know, like I'm, I need a job or, or, or I'm going through this illness or, or my kid's going off, you know, in the deep end or something. And then they'll ask you to pray for something. Somebody else will ask you to pray for something that's kind of like really not a big deal. It's like, you know, my child is, I don't know, it can be something. I had one person pray, you know, you know my child is going into a fraternity at school, make sure they get in the right one. And I'm going like, I'm thinking it in my brain, you know. And, and people ask pastors this all the time. They ask you, can you pray for this? And, you know, and the deal is, the deal is, the deal is you know, you know and, and they'll ask you anything. So what do we do? We say, sure, I'll pray for that, you know. And I'm going like in my brain, I'm going like, really? I shouldn't have said that out loud probably. But the reality is, um, the reality is is sometimes we, you know, God answers things. He seems to answer things that are, big, that are not so big deals. And sometimes he doesn't seem to answer the things that are big deals. And we're going to like, does God got his priorities mixed up? So, see, if we're not careful, prayer becomes nothing more than a good luck charm. Uh, nothing more than a, don't forget to say your prayers for this or this or this or this because it might not, you know, happen. So I want to challenge our thinking this morning. And I want to challenge it not from what I think, but what Scripture says, what Jesus taught, matter of fact. Because what of this? What if the point of prayer has very little to do with getting God to do stuff for us? Let me say that again. What if the point of prayer has very little to do with getting God to do stuff for us? What if the main point of prayer is not about our needs, our wishes, and our wants? Or or, let's just say, what if that's just a tiny part of what the bigger picture is, but we spend our whole life focusing just on that small portion, and we miss the bigger part of prayer? What if prayer is about something bigger, and and if we understood it, um, it would change the way we relate to God and the way we pray? So this morning, we're going to look at a, a famous, probably the most famous prayer in all of Scripture, prayed by Jesus himself. 
as he taught his disciples how to pray. And actually it's recorded in a couple places in Scripture, but one place the disciples actually asked Jesus to teach them to pray. Another place in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, it's a part of a whole bunch of teachings placed there as well. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles this morning, and if you want to turn to that, whatever version you have, whether it's an e-version or a, you know, or a paper version or an Android version or an i-version or whatever the version you have, it still all works along with the Scripture, okay? And so we're going to look at that this morning. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. I want to go into the, the, the before he gets into the Lord's Prayer, there's actually some stuff he says, Jesus uh, says about prayer, that's kind of some background. And uh, so let's just look at that first, and then we'll get into the main point, which is, really has the points we want to talk about this morning. Uh, verse 5, when you pray, Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everybody can see them. Then he says this, I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get, but in verse 6, but when you pray, go by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Now, the, the deal is this, does location matter? Can you not pray anywhere? Sure you can. That's not the point of what Jesus is saying here, because what he has done, he's trying to teach his disciples and his followers about, in a sense, you know, about prayer. And he's saying it's not about location. Location is important, only the, the point of this. When you pray, he says, I want you to get by yourself and focus on God. That's the point here. It's not like certain rooms are more holy than other rooms or certain locations. Basically, he's saying this to our culture, no multitasking. When you pray, it's you and God, one-on-one. -on -one. The reason that's true is because he said the prophet, prophet and we'll learn this in a few moments, if we simply kind of like along, yeah, we can pr throw out prayers along the way when you're driving or, you know, when you're doing this or doing that, whatever, you can throw out prayers. But he said, when you get down to really praying, the prayer that's going to make a difference in your life, you need to focus your attention. He says, do it in private. Connection to God comes when you go into your room and close the door. Uh, Jesus is talking about something beyond help me, help me, help me, bless me, bless me, bless me. He's saying something or something beyond that. Then he says this. Then your father, who sees everything, will reward you. You're going like, that's what I'm talking about. And we like that part. You know, pray and God. No, that's not what he's, he's not talking about, giving all the stuff you want. As we look at this bigger picture in prayer, it's going to be talking about giving us what we need. And then in verse 7, he says this. He says, when you pray then, also, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely, merely by repeating their words again and again. He's saying it's not the quality or quantity of words. Did any of you grow up in a church where the pastor pray, prayed in King James English? Some of you going like, you know, I don't know, hook them horns or something. I don't know what that was. Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, I did. I don't know what, you know what that means? You, know, you ever read King James Bible? These and thou's. You know, I, I don't know about you guys. I don't, I don't speak that way. And so, you know, but I grew up in that environment, and so, so often what would happen is I would think that if I really knew how to pray, I had to pray and have the right words. You know, I had to pray these and thou's or whatever it might be, or, or really flowery language. I've heard people do incredibly flowery pl uh, prayers. But the, the issue is that he's saying, he said, you know, that doesn't, that's not what's important about prayer. Don't babble on and on. Don't just repeat words again and again. He's saying it's not about repeating memorized prayers. It's about having a relationship with God in this prayer that makes a difference in your life. Verse 8, then he says, don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask. 
So when we read that, we're going like, well, why even pray then if he knows what we need before we even ask? Why pray? If that's the purpose of prayer, well, that's not the purpose of prayer, is to get all the stuff you need, you want. He knows what you need, and so he's going to work through that. Now, the deal is this. He goes into the, then in verse 9, he goes into the, what we call as the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, a very simple prayer that he prayed, he didn't pray a prayer for us, even though we do this many times as a way of repeating this prayer. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what he said, because he didn't say, every time you pray, pray this. This is what he says. This then is how you pray. Not what you pray, how you pray. Huge difference, okay? So then he's going to give us some instructions to his disciples about this is how you pray. This is the structure of prayer. This is the purpose of prayer. And so he starts off the very first line. He says, our Father, he's, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're going like, I don't even understand what that word means. But that's all right because we're going to explain it this morning. You know what he's talking about here is the first point of prayer. And the first point of prayer is this. We need to recognize who we're praying to. Recognize who God is. See, he says, don't start with talking about you. Don't go, God, hey, it's me. Here's what I need. Here's my laundry list of stuff. He's going, he says, start, don't start with you. He says, when you pray, start with God. Recognize who you're talking to. He says you need to spend more time acknowledging who you are talking to, and the more you do that, it, it, it builds confidence, and it builds confidence in God. If you think about it, let me explain something to you. We have an issue sometimes that we pray almost too, a little more, we're too familiar with God. He's kind of like our good buddy. You know, it's kind of like we're talking to our good buddy. When you pray to God, you're not talking to your good buddy. He's your loving father, yes, but he's much more than that. He is the God of the universe who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all the alls, omni-everything, okay? He is not like anybody else you have a conversation with. You're not having a conversation with your good buddy. And so when you pray, he's saying, Jesus is saying right up front, the first thing you need to understand is acknowledge, recognize who God is. I mean, there was this huge difference in views even in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there was this uh, bizarre idea. And I don't think it was bizarre. I think it was good. It's a, it's a balance between the Old Testament and New Testament. But this Old Testament view of God, and it was so that God was so otherworldly, so far away from us, that even when a scribe would write, in, uh, write the name of God, Yahweh, with a, with a pen, he would throw the pen away. Because that pen was now, can't use it anymore. I mean, that's how sacred the name of God, just the name of God was. But then we come to the New Testament, and we see the New Testament referring to uh, the fatherhood of God, this personal, intimate relationship. For instance, on the Sermon on the Mount, where this, where this uh, passage of Scripture is part of, the word Father appears 17 times. But then also, Jesus himself, Jesus Christ himself, refers to the Father 70 times in Scripture. So there's this, there's, there's this uh, yeah, closeness as far as a father, but he's still like this, this God who is, who is beyond us. And so what Jesus is really saying, he's saying, he's saying to us, he's saying, you know, uh, the first thing we need to do in prayer is recognize who we're talking to. That word hallowed is, is a word that means to be set apart, to set apart, to worship. I mean, how, do, you, do you do that with anybody else? 
If you do, you need some counseling. Okay, if you worship somebody else other than God, it, it's, it's a problem. But the reality is, is that he said, hallowed be thy name means that God, I set you apart. You're above everything else. And so that's the first part of prayer. Then he goes on. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're like, okay, we just, usually when we recite this, we go right through that one, you know? But let me explain something to you. This is the speed bump of prayer. You know what a speed bump does? It slows you down so you don't have to, so you pay attention to what's going on around you. Uh, this is the critical issue of prayer. This is the point of prayer. Basically what this is saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. It's just meaning this. The second point of prayer, not only we recognize who God is, but we yield to his will. Purpose of prayer, Jesus says, is getting to a place where we not only recognize who God is, but we yield to his will. Doesn't it make sense that if we recognize who God is, that he's not just a good buddy we're talking to, but he is a God who knows all things, is all-powerful, that the person, we need to, the person that needs to be yielding is us, not him. We yield to his will. It's aligning our will with God's will. He's saying, before I get my needs, my wants, my wishes, I surrender to you, God. And the reality is, this is where life change happens. God is not just a category for a person who yields their will to God, but he's a personal savior. There was the Puritans would pray a prayer. I think it really kind of uh, encapsulates this. The Puritan prayer was this, Lord, whatever you want, wherever you want it, and whenever you want it, that's what I want. That's what it means to yield to his will. So often I hear stories of people that have gone through a process in life and they'll say things like, you know, you know I grew up, grew up in a Christian home or I grew up in a home that was religious, and I'll use that term, and he said, I went through a process in life and when I was young I was confirmed or I was baptized or whatever and I went through that, but it really didn't mean a whole lot to me. And, and they'll tell this right after, when they're baptized, you know, at church here, and they'll say that and then, and then things were happening in my life and and, and uh, then I went to college, and I got married, and, and then my prayers, uh, my prayers, they never say this, but this is what I'm thinking. They're, they're saying my prayers were, went more like this because it really never, I really never yielded to God's will. I simply just went through a religious pr- process. And so when they pray this prayer, this Lord's Prayer, they pray it something different than what Jesus would pray. They, pray. they would pray things like, you know, when you don't yield to God's will, you just go through religious rituals. This is what your prayer sounds like. My kingdom come, my will be done. On earth, who gives a rip about heaven? Give me this day our daily bread. Give me this day. No, no. Give me this day everything I want. And lead me not to temptation because I can find it all by myself. <clears throat> That's what a person who just simply goes through religious rituals do when hasn't yielded their will to Christ. Because I know what happens then when people tell me those stories. They tell me the second part of the story. And the second part is this. Well, I lived that way for a season of my life. And I went through a couple of marriages. And life was just coming apart at the seams. And I found myself someday on my knees saying to God, not, your, not my will, but your will. He, and they would say, I always believed in God, but I'm now surrendering my life to him. And that's when change happens. That's when change happens. That's what, that's, what God is, that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, the second part of prayer, after you recognize who you're praying to, is yielding to God's will. That's what prayer is all about. Not about just getting stuff. Oswald Chambers, you know, so often we've heard this, 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 this thing where uh, people will say, you know, prayer changes things. Oswald Ch- Chambers says it a little different. He says, it is not so true that prayer changes things as that prayer changes me. 
Dwight L. Moody said it this way. He said, the world is yet to see what God can do with a man that is fully consecrated to him, fully yielded to him. Consecrated means yielded. So what if? What if God does not, the question is, what if God doesn't answer the prayer the way you want him to? Well, then when he does, it means you yield to his will. And guess who wins out? You do. Because you're now following his plan for your life, not your plan for your life, the real place God wants you to be. There's a couple of prayers that Jesus, there's a bunch of prayers that Jesus prays, but there's a couple of prayers in particular that shows this up in Scripture. It's not about just God's willingness to answer our prayers, but it's our willingness to yield to his will that determines the length and the uh, length of our prayers. Remember, I don't know if you remember this, but at Bethany, there was a place, a place where Jesus encountered a guy named Lazarus with his good friend. His good friend, Lazarus, had died, and Jesus uh, prolonged his uh, journey to, to get there. He, he delayed on purpose to get to the place where, where his good friend Lazarus was. And Lazarus had died now. And Jesus gets there to Lazarus and, is, and has this encounter with, with Mary and Martha, and, 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 he's, and he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And so Jesus prays. Okay, let's think about this a minute. Jesus is about to raise somebody from the dead. Is that a big deal? Ever, y'all ever done that before? You haven't even thought about doing it before, okay? No, it's a big deal. So if you were getting ready to do something that was amazingly powerful you know, of God, how, what kind of prayer would you pray? Probably a long, drawn-out, just, oh, yeah. You know, just, God, please help me to do this. Da, 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 or, you know, see your, and he, Jesus prays a 10-second prayer. Literally. It's, it's recorded in John chapter 11, and he says this. He, he gets ready, he says, Father, he looks up to Father. Father, I thank that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Amen. Let's, let's get the guy healed. Let's raise him from the dead. That was it. See, the deal was, wasn't trying to get God to do something that, that God wasn't going to do. He didn't spend any time. Jesus didn't spend any time there. He prayed a brief prayer. He did it. He did that. But there was another time where Jesus prayed all night long. Totally different purpose. It was the night before he was going to lay down his own life for the sins of mankind. He was in the upper room. In a few minutes, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. He was in the upper room. He was partaking of the elements of the Lord's Supper. And the next thing he did, very soon after that, is he went out to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And while he was there, he began this, this prayer that lasted all night, uh, night long. And literally, the Bible says that he, he, he sweat, prayed and he was on his face before God and he was sweating drops of blood. We don't know if it's literal, figurative, whatever. It doesn't really matter. It's just a, it's an, talking about the intensity of his prayers. And the reality is he did that. And, and the reason that it took him so long here, it only took him 10-second prayer, prelude before healing the guy, raising him from the dead. But here he is. It took him so long because he recognized what God's will was and he didn't like it. Because he was also human. I mean, how many of us want to have a brutal death? Nobody does. Not even Jesus. But he stayed on his face in the garden until he got to the place where he could say, not my will, but your will, Father. And it lasted all night. See, the length of our prayer is not determined by the willingness of your God. The length of our prayer should be determined by the condition of our heart. 
And if we're not in the, to the place where we can fully surrender every aspect of our lives, we need to stay there a while. That's what Jesus is saying. Wrestle with it. Make it personal. So we declare God's glory, recognize who we're praying to, and we wrestle with our will. That's the t- first two parts of prayer. And then comes the last part of prayer. Jesus says this. This is the part we like because it starts with the word we like a lot. Verse 11. Give. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, realize what it says. It's not saying, God, give us anything we want. He says, give us today what we need for today. It's basically this. What he's saying here is we need to declare, the third part of prayer is declaring our dependence upon him. Our dependence upon him. Uh, uh, For the Jewish people who would read this, they would understand this clearly, and they would have an event in the past that would remind them of this. This imagery would be from the day when they were out in the wilderness, wandering in the wilderness, and if you've watched the movie The Ten Commandments, you know what I'm talking about. Or if you've read the Bible, by the way, too. But the the thing is, is uh, out in the wilderness, they're wandering around, and they're without food, and what what does God do? God gives them something called manna. Thank you. Uh, Y'all, some of you have read... Y'all guys up here are smart. That's why you sit up here, because you're smart. You know all the answers, right? Okay. Okay. Uh, manna. He gave them manna. And so when he gives them manna, how long did the manna last? It didn't have a good shelf life, by the way. No, it lasted one day, and then it would, be, it would rot, and they have to get a new, and God would supply them another day's worth, and another day's worth. Give us this day our daily manna, sustenance, in a real sense. He's, it, was, it, was a, it was a thing for the people who were in the wilderness that God was showing them how to learn to depend upon him. For their day-to-day needs. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Um, He says, declare your dependence upon him. Then he says, and verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He said, not only declare to God uh, our dependence upon him for our daily needs, but he says, secondly, we declare our dependence upon God for our pardon from sin. Our debts. He's saying, you know, realize that when we come before God, the only reason we could come before God is because he's already done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And then finally, he says, he kind of closes the prayer, and he says, verse 13, and do not lead us into temptation. We've got to declare our dependence upon him from protection from temptation. So basically, he says the three things of prayer are this. Declare, your, declare his greatness, surrender your will, acknowledge your dependence upon him. Start with God. End with God, and in the middle is the issue. Us yielding to God. Whose agenda? Whose will? And then Jesus ends this prayer with simply these little words, and deliver us from evil, amen. And you're going like, I thought there was some other words. I learned it when I was growing up. Well, for those of you who need to know where the other words came from, there is, if any of you used the Lord's Prayer at your wedding, and you, somebody sang it, and they had an ending, Y'all remember that? Nobody remembers that? Come on, come on. I know if I sang it for you, you'd know it. Of course, you don't want to hear me sing it for you. You know, and it was like, it, the other part was this, when you ended in some, some translation said, is this, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. You know, always have somebody who's really high and operatic who sings that part, you know. For thine is the kingdom. You know, it's kind of like that, you know. Let me explain why that's not in here. That's in King James. King James was written in the 1600s. You're going like, well, isn't that the most accurate manuscript? No. 
Because what happened is a couple of, a couple of, a couple hundred years later, I think, hundred years, I can't remember exactly when they discovered it. They discovered a bunch of more scrolls called the Dead Sea Scrolls and some other things as well. And those were actually older manuscripts that were, that were, that were not around when they translated from manuscripts the King James Version. So we actually have older manuscripts. The more current translations like NIV, NASB, and some other ones are translations that were, were actually translated using older manuscripts. And guess what they didn't have? They didn't have, for thine is the power and the glory forever. Amen. So where did it come from? Somebody guesses that somebody didn't think that was a good ending to Jesus' prayer, and they just added it in. I mean, would you trust a 16th century doctor right now to, to work on you? <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, so this whole thing about prayer, as you look at it here, you know, what's the big deal? Recognize who God is, yield to his will, declare your dependence. Well, Jesus, where's the whole part about give me, give me, give me? Well, the reason it's not there is because Jesus says once you yield to his will, God will give you what you need. Not what you want. And so our prayers need to be a little different than what we prayed. I had a couple people go out the door first service and say, man, i got to rethink this whole prayer thing. And I'm going, yeah, we all do. Because we grew up in a culture that prayer is just about, you know, opening the you know, wish list and asking God for stuff. And that's not what prayer is about at all, Jesus says, according to him. It's about so much more. It's about living a life where we recognize the God that we serve. It's about living a life that's yielded to him and meaning that we align our lives with the, with the God of the universe who knows more than we could ever even begin to think. And we align our life with the God of the universe and declare our dependence upon him for our daily needs, our daily pardon from our sins, our daily our daily. Uh, Deliverance from temptation, all these things, instead of going around and going like, well, you know, i got to do it myself. It's never what God wants us to do. So, have you ever said this? Have you ever said, God, whatever you want, I will do that. In your family, in your finances, in your career, or in your relationships. We're going to take the Lord's Supper in just a minute, so I'll ask the ushers to go ahead and get ready. Go back to where you're going to be, back there, and do that. But before we do that, I want to pray and then uh, give you some instructions. And then our band's going to come on stage and just play some song in the background uh, as we, as we uh, close this morning. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word and what it says to us. I, I would pray that we would pray according to, to the way that Jesus taught us, taught us to pray. That first of all, when we come and get, get together with you, it would be this kind of like, oh, God, I'll just pray on my way to work or do whatever. Yeah, that's fine, but God, we need to have some intense times where we get, get with you alone. There's no distractions. There's nothing else going on. And in doing so, God, what it, what it does, it allows us, in a real sense, to focus our attention on you. And the first thing we do there, God, is to realize and recognize who you are. How long does that take? I don't know. But however long. And then, God, we need to yield our will to your will and in doing that, it really has to do with the condition of our heart. Some things we can make, make and deal with in five minutes, and some things it might take five days. And then the next thing God you said is once we do those things, we just simply 
After we've, after we've recognized who we're praying to, and as we yield our will to you, God, then you allow us in a real sense to, to declare our dependence upon you, God, in all the areas of life. Thank you, God, that you're a God who loves us that much, who wants to have that kind of relationship with us, and who loves us enough to, to, to be patient with us, God, as we go through this process of change. Because every one of us has a next step. And that next step will, will be involved with this yielding part, the second part of prayer. Thank you, God, for your incredible love. Guide us now as we partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, that it would be a meaningful time of thinking about things that we've talked about this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let me give some instructions this morning. We're going to close this morning very simply. What I want you to do is this. I just want you to, uh, in a minute, I'm going to ask the ushers to pass out the bread and the cup back to back. I'm not going to give any more instructions during this time, but this is what I want you to do. Is the, 